0: I'm Jennifer Wing, and this is Transmission, and KNKX's education reporter, Ashley Gross, is here with me today. Hi, Jennifer. Hey, Ashley. So we wanted to take you
1: on a quick tour to hear how students and teachers in other countries are heading back to school.
2: I teach English and biology at the German high school level, which is from grade five. To 12. This is Kirsten
1: Heckelmann. She
2: lives in Stuttgart, Germany. At the moment, the plan is that everybody goes back, full classes, masks in the building, and until you and in the schoolyard, and until you reach your seat. The new rules are absolutely no mixing of classes. Uh, like in my younger son's after-school care, they're not allowed to play with children from a different grade.
3: So my name is Carrie Balmer. I live in Guildford, which is a small city about half an hour outside of London on the train. We are recommencing uh, in-person school, so I have a 14-year-old and an 11-year-old who is about to go into uh, senior school, so they will both be at the same school. Uh, and the UK government seem to have made it priority for children to be back in school because I, I think they believe that economically that will help the country get back to work, parents get back to work, but also they recognise that emotionally kids need to be busy and they've missed, I think they've missed progress. They've kind of been in a holding pattern, you know, we've given you work, but it hasn't necessarily pushed you and there won't be any requirement for them to wear masks during the day at school either. There's been a general consensus that having masks on in the classroom is not healthy.
0: Wow, I'm surprised by that. Not healthy healthy in what way?
3: Healthy for communication. Okay, Uh, my name is Yoko Goto. I live in Gero City in Gifu Prefecture, Japan. What do you teach? Uh, I teach English. So is school
1: happening now?
3: Yes, yes. They have to tell their temperature. They have to take temperature every morning. And if they have any symptoms of cold, they can't come to school once they gather in the classroom they want to meet each other they hold each other they want to have a lunch together but we teachers have to tell them that don't touch each other or uh, they shouldn't be so close with each other they are high school students they are young they want to do that
0: Japan, Germany, these are some of the countries that Washington State's Department of Health is monitoring to see how things are going. How are they making this work? Yes, the lower number of COVID cases in these countries is making it possible for students to return. And there's still a lot of risk involved with in-person education, no matter what precautions you have in place. But I have to say, as a parent of a middle schooler and a high school student, I'm a little jealous. (laughs) I know. I I hear
1: you. Me too. I mean, the last school year was so hard for our two kids and for me and my husband, Gabe, you know, trying to juggle our, our work and getting them on their online classes. And then like the summer has not been much better. And they've been, you know, kind of isolated. And what your friend from the UK said really resonated with me
0: about, you know, the emotional side of school, you know, they're really missing that. Ashley, you, you have been keeping an eye on what all of the school districts are doing across Washington state and and how they are following guidelines from public health departments. Uh, is it fair to say that all students in Washington state will be going back to school online?
1: Well, I mean, just about, about 95% of kids are going to be doing remote learning in the state. Um, there are some schools in rural parts of the state that will be going back to some in-person learning But here in Western Washington, almost all the kids are going to be learning remotely because there's just too many cases
0: of COVID. So what is it going to be like for parents and students and teachers as online learning 2.0 resumes? Parents without internet, parents with special needs kids, teachers with tech problems. Today on Transmission, we are heading back to school. Sort of. The question that a lot of people have right now is how this school year is going to be different from what they experienced in the spring. Right.
1: I mean, that's something everyone wants to know. Over the summer, and even now, right up until the start of school, local teachers unions are working on these blueprints, these plans. It's called a memorandum of understanding. And these are agreements between the unions and school districts that lay out what teachers and other staff, you know, such as paraprofessionals will be committing to this school
0: year. Well, we're going to use the Tacoma School District as an example here, because what's happening in Tacoma is happening in other districts across the state. Lots of planning, lots of challenges. The Tacoma Teachers Union is still um, trying to finalize their agreement as of, you know, our taping today. But just to see what's
4: in the works there, I spoke with Shannon Ergun. And I am a teacher in Tacoma Public Schools. Uh, I've taught um, English as a second language for the last 23 years, and currently I am the elected full-time release president of Tacoma Education Association.
0: And Ashley, uh, full disclosure, when I first reached out to Shannon in an email, I asked her uh, in this new school year with remote learning how teachers will be held accountable. You know, teachers are under a lot of pressure right now, and she was not happy with how that question
4: was phrased. I often find that sort of question paternalistic. I think it is asked of teachers because we're a predominantly female profession and the public feels that as um, having been students themselves, they insert themselves into understanding what it is teachers do and supervising our work. But in this particularly unusual situation where teachers are working from home just like everyone else but families then are supervising their own children as they learn online, Uh, it's it's a challenge that families are facing and teachers are facing. How do we engage students effectively? And so this accountability piece has become um, an even bigger uh, conversation, and how do we then hold those teachers accountable for doing their job, as if we wouldn't do that as professionals anyway.
0: Shannon is a teacher and a parent, and she'll be the first to acknowledge that what students and families experienced in the spring, that it was not
4: ideal. So in the spring, it was sudden. It was an emergency. Nobody had any information that they were putting out that we were going to close down on March 13th and we'd be back in a few weeks. And we would get started again in April, or maybe it'll be May, but we're going to come back. And and it just kept getting pushed out further. We got higher and higher numbers across the state, across the nation. And we continued to be questioning, well, how do we do this? And And we didn't in 10 minutes that we had to pack up our classrooms and get kids ready. We didn't have the time to prepare, to provide students all of the pieces and resources that they needed to do this well at home. However, recognizing that and knowing as we moved through that emergency situation throughout the spring, we started making plans in May and June. We started looking at how is the fall going to look? What can we do to make this better?
1: So what exactly is Tacoma doing?
0: They still have to finalize their Memorandum of Understanding agreement, their MOU, those blueprints that we talked about earlier. And Shannon says that teachers have been working for weeks on lesson plans for every single grade, and they're getting extra training to get comfortable with the, the platforms that students and teachers are going to use to get connected. But Shannon says what will really be different from the spring is a lot more structure and more predictability.
4: So we're creating the same sorts of master schedules that we would have in any regular school year with um, at the different levels right the elementary uh, students might have you know a a morning meeting and then some time for reading or math and then they do an art project or right and so their, their day is fairly well scheduled and and they have time to work with our specialists in music and pe and library and so we are creating those same sorts of master schedules for K-12, and kids will follow those throughout, we are trying to create those master schedules so that when we are able to shift to a hybrid system where kids come in just a couple of days a week and continue working remotely for two or three days, um, that those schedules would be able to be maintained. Everybody does better when they have stability and um, they know what's coming, and so we we don't want to switch up their schedule hugely um, and add that going to school piece. It won't be what all of these parents remember as school and what they hoped their kids would get in a classroom with other peers in in a face-to-face environment, but it will be as close as we possibly can get given the constraints of our current situation.
1: Yeah, it's interesting to hear her talk about how they're building these schedules because parents have not had a lot of clarity on this. Even now, uh, families are just now getting their schedules. And so it's interesting to hear that they're trying to build them so that it can segue back into some kind of in-person
0: school. Yeah, they're they're trying to be prepared for hopefully when when numbers Uh, do go down or hopefully if, you know, there's a vaccine um, in the future and, and we make this transition back into the classroom. But meanwhile, you know, to make all of this work, we need a lot of computers, right? I mean, yeah, exactly. And so going into this, Tacoma did not have one laptop for every student. Shannon told me it was more like one computer for every three kids.
1: Right. And, and computers are really hard to buy right now, too. All school
0: districts are trying to buy them. Yeah. And this is exactly what Tacoma is dealing with.
4: You, you can put in an order for a personal laptop right now and they'll tell you it's six to eight weeks minimum. Um, and that's just a, a single order. Um, when we're talking about Tacoma's got 30,000 students. And providing devices, uh, putting in an order for 30,000 computers is, uh, is certainly asking for a lot. And, and as you can imagine, we're, we're not getting them all at once, and that's part of the problem. We're distributing to all 6-12 students. We, we hope that maybe in the late, late September or October we would be able to distribute to grades 3, 4, and 5. And then um, we're still struggling with an order of appropriate devices for our K-2 students. So it may be a little bit longer for our K-2 students to have um, devices provided by the district.
1: I mean, that just like I don't even know where to start with that. Remote school is starting, but younger kids will not have a device for a while. I mean, even in Seattle, my own son's elementary school, we just got an email saying that people have to use their own devices because the computers have not arrived yet. So, you know, that's just one side of the equation. Then you also have the internet side. You know, there's a lot of people who do not have reliable internet service. Did she say anything about that?
0: Yeah, and not only are there families without internet, uh, but some teachers working from home are,
4: are dealing with this too. As far as teachers, some of our teachers live, you know, out you know, up into the mountains or out in rural areas, that means that they don't have real stable connectivity, right? So uh, even our teachers, some of them have, have these challenges. They do see that Internet has become uh equivalent to clean water and electricity. We expect that everybody has that in their homes. We expect that people have um, access to internet in their homes. You can't apply for jobs. You can't research that. There's so many things that you simply can't engage in in society without access to uh, internet.
0: So, Ashley... You and I, we both have kids at home and we know firsthand how hard it has been trying to juggle work and keeping kids on track with their homework and just staying engaged and uh, keeping uh, everyone's mental health in check. But the people I keep thinking about are the children with special needs and, and how those families are coping right now.
1: Yeah, every time I think about it, I feel like my head is about to explode. I've been speaking with a lot of parents who have children in special education, and they're under a lot of stress. Daniela Hall is a mom of two kids in West Seattle, and her 12-year-old son has cerebral palsy, so he uses a wheelchair.
5: It's an impossible situation at home because he needs help all the time. So then I'm in a position or my husband's in a position where somebody has to help him or be available all the time. In addition, I have to work. So Daniela is a
1: teacher. She's teaching from home and her husband is working, too. And normally, you know, at school, their son, Dempsey, has a one-to-one instructional aid who helps him with a lot of things, you know, such as feeding and practicing standing and personal hygiene. And Daniela told me that he also gets speech therapy, physical therapy, and
0: occupational therapy. I, I, I'm just having a hard time imagining how all of this is working and, and how like, the parents are still able to work. Like, how, how does he get all of these things uh, with online school? I know. That's like, that's the part
1: that's so hard to understand, right? So the only way any of it can be done is if you have a parent or some adult there at home who can help the child. I mean, it is in a way kind of amazing what the kids can adapt to. Daniela says that Dempsey has been able to interact with his instructional aid over video conference. He's gotten pretty
5: savvy on his technology. So she would be there on the video chat with him and asking him questions. And then um, he would respond using his communication device or with body language, as he usually communicates, right? So... Um, it was it was doable. They were doing stuff, but if he needed anything, like if um, sometimes he doesn't have really good control of his body, so his arms would lift up and he would hit the switch, and then it, he couldn't access it with his head like he normally does. So I'd have to be there. I mean, I would have to be within earshot, and she would just call me or my husband and say, Hey, Dempsey needs help, and we would zip in and help him and get him reset up with his head switch in the proper spot.
1: So like, yeah, it's just this crazy dance. I mean, I've talked with Daniela in the past, and I know that it is pretty intense trying to homeschool her kids and teach her own classes. And I was thinking she would probably want her son to get some kind of you know in-person special education services. But uh, does she? Is she going to go for that? She said probably not. Um, She and her family, they live close to her husband's mother, and they're worried about her getting exposed to the virus. Um, but that just puts her family in this really difficult situation, and she's had to ratchet down her expectations for her son's academic
5: progress. I can't help but think that um, a lot of the schooling is just going to fall by the wayside because there's just no way we can do it without a person coming to the house to help my son out.
1: But but that's what this all comes down to. I mean, you can't just flip a switch and make the school system virtual Without putting an enormous burden on parents, they become unpaid educators, as you know, right, Jennifer?
0: Yeah, but this is this is a whole new level, right? This 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 requires uh, skills that that people uh, spend years in higher institutions of learning acquiring. Right, exactly. I mean. That that is
1: the crux of it, and it leads me to introduce you to a woman in Tacoma who has made it her mission to talk about how this is, in her words, bananas. She is a lawyer who works on disability issues, and she also has a son with special needs.
6: It's a really rare um, disorder, not just for girls, but really
1: rare for boys. It's R H E T T or R R E T T. Who is this? So this is Adrian Stewart. I, I do have to apologize for the quality of the Zoom call. It just was not the best connection, um, but hopefully people can understand. Um, she has really important things to say, so I want <laughs> want people to understand. Her six year old son Jack has a genetic condition called Rett syndrome. He uses a wheelchair, and he does not use spoken language to communicate. At the beginning of this year at school, um, Jack was just starting to learn how to use this machine called a Tobii eye gaze device. And the Tobii eye gaze device, like, what does he use that for? What does it do for him? It's just this computer that has an eye gaze
6: tracking device on it. And it can see where his eyes land on the screen. And... Once it lands on wherever it is he's looking, it gives an audible signal, right? So like on his little games that he does, when he looks at a tiger, the tiger roars. My end game, our end goal is to get him so proficient with it that he can use this device to communicate with us.
0: Oh, man. So basically, what she's saying is, is he can't really communicate with them right now.
1: No. um, Adrian says that he does have good eye contact. And she says she operates under the assumption that he is understanding what she says. Um, He makes sounds that are kind of like the squeaks of a dolphin. But the real heartbreak of this situation right now is that she says he was making lots of progress before the pandemic hit. And his parent educator was getting up to speed on the eye gaze device, and he had a speech-language pathologist who was working with him at school. And Adrian says that, you know, just being around the other kids in the classroom was, like, super beneficial to him.
6: Kids were coming up to him to engage him more often, which is huge. You know, that peer interaction, you just can't replicate that happening organically. Um, and um, you know, for the first time, we were really hopeful that we were going to get to a place with Jack where we could understand what he was trying to communicate.
0: Ashley, this is so hard. It, it sounds like he was doing so well, you know, being on the verge of communicating with his parents and his peers. And then the pandemic comes and just kind of blows everything all up. What is the family doing now? Well, so Adrian says that with Tacoma
1: schools going remote, she is the one who has to be, I mean, she lists all these jobs off the teacher, the paraeducator, the speech language pathologist, occupational therapist, and physical therapist. And these are all like services that are spelled out in his individualized education program that is, you know, part of the system under federal law that uh, requires that districts provide students with disabilities, what is known as a free, appropriate public education. And
6: so if you say, OK, well, we're just not going to do any of that. We're just going to you know, put it on I mean, that just means that I need to quit my job and sit there with him to help him access the education and, and
1: replicate. All of those jobs. So, what she's doing is taking legal action.
0: Wow, wow! Um, who is who she's suing?
1: Well, Adrian and her husband and some other parents—they're suing the state superintendent's office and the state board of education. And they, what they say is that all students, not just in special education are being deprived of a basic education under remote learning. I mean, it's a little arcane here. Adrian says the agencies went beyond their authority by using emergency rulemaking to waive instructional hour requirements in the spring and then redefine an instructional hour for this school year to allow remote learning
0: and hybrid learning. And an instructional hour, that's that's like what counts as learning, right? Yeah,
1: exactly. There's a requirement that districts provide. I think it's 1,027 instructional hours in a year. Um, And so the agencies so far have declined to comment on the lawsuit. It was filed in Thurston County Superior Court.
0: So while while this legal stuff is going on, has she heard from her son's school about whether he can go there for in-person instruction and services and to to try and make up The progress that he's lost?
1: No, she hasn't heard yet. The Tacoma School District says it's it is contacting families to figure out who needs those in person services, and the teachers union, the Tacoma Education Association, says that would likely start toward the end of this month. And this, you know, this has been a point of contention in bargaining with teachers unions because obviously educators are wary of being required to do in person instruction because of the potential health risk and. You know, it is a legitimate fear. Definitely. Yeah, COVID-19 can cause long-lasting health impacts and even death. But Adrian says that districts are legally bound to provide the services in those individualized education plans. And the guidance from the state superintendent's office says districts should ensure they can do that without relying on parents to deliver the instruction. So it's just this really difficult nut to crack. Um, She does bring up an interesting point. She says, from a public health standpoint, it does not make sense that the state has allowed child care centers to stay open, but recommended that public schools stay closed until, you know, coronavirus transmission is lower. If we as a society are going to say, um, look, we can
6: we can figure out how to open up daycares Um, We can figure out how to open up private schools and do that safely. And we're going to offer that to your kids. Um, It's just going to cost you $2,000 a month to be able to do that. Then what that says to me (laughs) is that we can
1: absolutely figure
6: out how to educate our kids in a safe way.
1: Just this morning when I was walking the dog, I saw kids arriving to the Catholic school in my neighborhood with their masks on, you know, heading for in-person school. And I was thinking, oh man, if only my own kids could go to in-person school. You know, for Adrian, she really wants her son to have interactions with other kids. And so it's not enough just to have in-person learning for a few kids with disabilities. She thinks that with proper precautions that schools can open and kids can have, you know, the social interactions with their peers that they need. But again, this is controversial, and there are many people who think it's too soon to do that, given the number of coronavirus cases in our region.
0: Yeah, I mean, even with the high number of coronavirus cases in our region, uh, the State Department of Health is saying, I mean, they have a whole decision-making tree to guide educators on how to make in-person learning safe for students and teachers. And, you know, if schools have the resources as many private schools do, uh, you're going to see some of some of those private schools uh, with students coming into their buildings, usually younger students. To get a little bit more clarity on this, on when health officials think that it would be safe for students and teachers to return to school buildings, I spoke with Lacey Farenbach with the State Department of Health. I am the Deputy
2: Secretary for COVID Response for the Department of Health.
0: So, so what did she say
1: about in-person learning in places that have high case numbers?
0: Well, Lacey says that uh, some in-person instruction, like what Tacoma may do with students in special education, is possible right now, even with less than ideal numbers of COVID cases in the community.
2: Um, For example, really young children, children with certain disabilities, children in very rural areas, even in the category of high disease activity, our guidance allows local communities to um, bring in small numbers of students, uh, their neediest students for in-person learning. So you know, at the high level, we are primarily recommending distance learning. With that exception, that for your um, highest need students, and the and the community gets to decide who uh, those students are.
0: Yeah, this is also tricky to to manage. Yeah, it's completely. Uh, new territory and the risk is real there's at least one case of a teacher in Arizona who died of COVID after being exposed in her school building Uh, she was in a room with two other teachers and they were wearing PPE and they weren't working with students uh, in person they were working with students remotely and still they got sick right right
1: but then you have the burden on parents, all parents, but especially ones like Adrian and
0: Daniela, who are in these impossible situations. So Lacey says if communities in Washington can bring the ratio down to 25 cases per 100,000 and keep it there for at least two weeks, then more kids can get back into the classrooms. And she says that schools can bring in the younger students first.
2: I empathize tremendously with parents. Um, I am a parent, I have school a school-aged child uh, and then a, a preschooler as well. And I want to give these parents hope. Um, I, we, we do feel that it is possible to do in-person learning while we await a vaccine and navigate through this pandemic. It, it does require um, a lot of work by everyone in the community to get there, Uh, but we can get there. And I wanna remind people in Washington State that there were many counties who met that 25 cases per 100,000 over 14 day threshold uh, in the late spring and early summer. So it is possible to get there. Um, We have to just be very diligent and disciplined in Uh, implementing those community mitigation measures we have that we know work so you know wearing masks physical distance and limiting our gatherings Um, and you know if we do that the schools have the guidance and the tools to do the safety measures um, that they need to do in order to, to operate what they really need is everyone in the community to help bring down those rates So the rates are low enough that we can start trying some in-person learning in more parts of the state.
0: But until that happens, uh, the distribution of laptops continues. Yeah.
1: I mean, I was just at a middle school the other day in Parkland, south of Tacoma. Um, teachers were inside doing professional development about how to teach remotely, and outside administrators were there checking out the laptops to kids. And uh, find a table, log to, um, the
0: computer. What, what did the kids say about starting the school year off this way? I, I was
1: expecting that they would mostly say that they wish regular school was starting, but the first student that I caught she said that she prefers this. Huh. Emily Moreno Ramirez is 11 years old and she's about to start sixth grade and she's she's feeling some jitters about entering middle school. How do you feel about the idea of school being online? Happy so that I don't get lost in here. <laughs> <laughs> it's true though. <laughs> you see the school, it's so big. She's like, mom, I'll be lost. I'm
0: like, no, you'll be fine.
1: Her mom, Elizabeth Ramirez, says they had to sign up for home internet service in the spring. So they didn't have it before. Right, I mean, that's like that's true of a lot of families. She says it's costing them about $70 a month, but she says she's actually relieved that school will not be in person this fall because she's worried that Emily could catch the virus. Because if she brings it, she'll bring it for the whole family. And then her little brother has asthma, so we don't want that. (laughs) That's why. Other parents and kids are feeling less positive because, you know, online learning
0: means being kind of isolated. Yeah, being with your friends uh, after going through this experience, uh, it's a reminder that it's a huge part of what school is about.
1: Right. That's one thing that Jonas Hernandez and his mom, Jordan French, brought up. Jonas is also 11 years old and entering sixth grade. There's not really much socializing. It's more just get it done there's no actual socializing that's another important part of school yeah in school
6: like we have a I have a kindergartner going in and I'm like it's crazy because I mean I get why but it's just like kindergarten is so much more than reading and and learning to write it's the socialization learning that skill and same with even being in middle school like that's a whole new transition and stuff and it's important so hopefully we can get back
1: to it sooner than later right because there's other kids coming from other elementary schools but now it's like hard to get to know them
2: yeah it's it's like a long distance relationship it never really works out in the end
0: jonas How do you know about a long-distance relationship at age 11? (laughs) That is some really good insight from an 11-year-old. I know. I
1: mean, I guess we're
0: all just trying this long-distance relationship
1: experiment when it comes to school right now. Definitely. Well, Ashley, thank you
0: so much for your reporting on all of this.
1: No problem. And it was a team effort, so thank you, Jennifer.
0: Ashley, it is always a pleasure working with you. And if you want to keep up with the education news in Washington state, you can follow Ashley Gross's reporting on her website, knkx.org. This episode of Transmission is produced by me. Ashley Gross, and with the help of KNKX staff. Our executive producer is Florangela Davila. Please consider giving us a rating and review on Apple Podcasts, and you can send feedback along with a voice memo recording of what your life is like right now. We really want to know. And you can send that to outreach at knkx.org. I'm Jennifer Wing. Catch you next time on Transmission.